0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engines, so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Our next investor conference is coming up. The Planet Microcap Showcase Vancouver on September 6th and 7th. 2023 at the Fairmont Waterfront, Vancouver. We have announced initial presenting companies, sponsors, and speakers. Uh, some of those speakers include Dave Barr from Pender Fund, uh, Harold Leishman and Brent Todd from Canaccord, Ryan Irvin from Keystone Financial, Hamed Shabazi from Well Health Technologies, and of course, Paul Andriola from Small Cap Discoveries, our lead sponsor for the event. So to register, Please go to our website and learn more. Our website is planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vancouver. My guest on the show today is Simon Handrahan, editor of the Margin of Safety newsletter. He recently shared a tweet or I I guess a post now or an X, I'm not really sure, uh, where he asked his audience and I quote here, individual investors, why don't you invest in illiquid microcaps, end quote. When you deal with microcaps, there's a good chance you'll come across a company you might like that meets all your criteria and it barely trades. This is not news to most of you, but I thought the question that Simon posted on Twitter slash X got me thinking. How liquid is too liquid? Is the lack of liquidity the edge when investing in microcap stocks? So I invited on Simon to chat further about all of this, plus his theses on stocks that are currently in his portfolio. Constellation Software, uh, CSU on the TSX, OTC Markets, ticker OTCM, Atlas Engineered, ticker symbol AEP on the TSX Venture, and Galaxy Gaming, ticker symbol GLXZ. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap Podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Simon Handrahan. Simon, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Hey, so, you Robert. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, really looking forward to this conversation today,
1: and uh, it's kind of nice to be on the other side of it. I've been a fan of the podcast for years now.
0: Awesome, dude. I'm so I, when we were trading <laughs> some messages back and forth about it, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I mean that. I sometimes forget that we've been doing this now since 2015. You know, like yeah. eight years of pods, eight years of content. Oh man, which is, you know, at least another couple two chins, you know, since then too, you know, just uh, trying to trying, I'm trying to, you know, maintain my voice for radio. But anyways, enough terrible jokes uh, that you've all heard over the years. But you <laughs> know, the main reason I wanted to invite you on is one, of course, like I, I just love featuring and having on as many microcap investors as possible on here because there's always some kind of differential insights that we can yield and learn from, uh different strategies and whatnot. You know, but I love this tweet that you put out um the other day. I forgot exactly. Exactly what day it was, but you said it was more like a call to individual investors about, you know, why don't you invest in illiquid microcaps? And you know, we listen, anybody listening to this is like, yeah, sure, we can all come <laughs> up with the reasons why you know an individual investor or anybody wouldn't want to invest in an illiquid microcap. But I thought that was a, a kind of an interesting question to dissect a little further because maybe there's some myths that can be debunked there, you know, and also opportunity that's being left on the table because you see. All right, this thing is completely illiquid. I just want to avoid it altogether and not even giving a chance to look at the underlying business because hey, this, there might be something interesting there. So let's start off there. You know, why why do you look at illiquid microcaps?
1: Yeah, thanks, Robert. Uh, I thought those um, you know, the replies in the tweet were really interesting. Um it, there's a lot of insight into why there's opportunities in microcaps in the replies. So I think you know a lot of people's distaste for microcaps or kind of myths about the quality or or whatnot are are really why there's opportunity um that's what kind of creates the opportunity in my mind anyway so uh why i invest in them um i think you know it's it's a subset of my portfolio it's probably about 20 percent, so definitely not exclusive to the microcap universe uh, as an investor um one thing i kind of think about is what sets me apart from average kind of fund manager or professional running large amounts of money, let's say, uh, or, you know, people that might have different uh, motivations or imperatives. And, you know, I think that's the biggest reason why I look to Microcaps for opportunity is that I try to be a business owner first, um, not like a trader. So the the liquid stuff, um, you know, I think is where a lot of people will, for their own valid reasons, stay away from but again, that's, that's really where as a person investing, you know, their own money, uh, I don't manage other people's money. Um, that's where the opportunity might lie because of those reasons, right? And, it, it, you know, you follow people on, on Twitter or, or other places or professionals, you know, you watch your CNBCs and, um, they seem to over, overvalue, I think, like the benefits of large companies. So, uh, I'm certainly not saying that large companies don't have advantages. They definitely do. But those are well-known advantages, and to think that there aren't advantages in simpler, smaller businesses is kind of silly as well. Like, for anyone that's worked with a large, you know, a large corporation, you kind of understand the very nature of how slow-moving mm-hmm. they can be or bureaucratic. People have all kinds of different incentives. Let's say um, there might be some empire-building and things like that. So you think about a smaller company, and what what I really find interesting is that. <clears throat> The same people that say like all these microcaps are you know let's say they, they have this thing about like they're all kind of garbage <laughs> businesses and things like that um that might be there might be some general truth to that in certain industries or certain sectors like I, I tend to avoid the cyclical names or more speculative names but you know free revenue pre-profit type businesses but then i bet you you ask these same people you know let's say they live in a, a city or a small town they probably know at least a handful of like very tiny local businesses that are really like gems of businesses, and they could probably tell you why they're uh, really amazing businesses with like great cash flow, great little advantages. You know, there's a lot of local advantages uh, as an example for small businesses that that big businesses just can't really partake in, or if they or if they do, it doesn't really move the needle. Um, so that's kind of where I'm looking is like, what are these small businesses that might, because of their size, offer um a lot of little advantages that their you know bigger, supposedly better brethren can't really
0: take advantage of. Right. And and I I, I agree with every point that you said there. You know, there's so many there are lots of advantages to to looking where other, you know. And it, it comes down to thresholds. And, you know, and I think this is actually something that we don't talk about enough, you know, I don't even think we've talked about it enough on here, um, is liquidity thresholds, right? And mm-hmm. just, you know, what, like, what exactly do we mean, even when we say like, something is illiquid, right? right. You know, I mean, we know, we'll look at it. And we'll, you know, look, take a quick look at the key system like, oh, okay, this thing is I think that's a trade like, oh, my goodness, like this is completely illiquid, you know, but yeah. there might be some people listening to this and be like, all right, well, you know, I might think that's something that trades, you know, 2 million shares a day is illiquid. And versus where me and you would be like, wow, that thing trades like a lot, man. Like, right, wow. <laughs> two million. Like, wow, like it's a relative a,
1: thing, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. You know, so I mean, for for you, like, you know, so because also you hear some buy side, it's like, okay, anything under fifty million market, we like, we just don't even look at, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but there are also then individual investors that might look on the liquidity side, like, all right, this thing doesn't trade. Let's say, like, I I'll give you like a benchmark for what we use for our index, like it's an average, a three month average of at least $25,000 in average trading volume or more, you know, which definitely is, that is right. That's pretty liquid. you know, when you're, yeah. especially as you get closer, but that's only because like, we also want to include some of those illiquid names in our index, because we think that we want to give some of that exposure because this this is all of this mm-hmm. makes up micro caps. But for the individual investors, sometimes like that, that just to give a little bit of perspective is, Th- yeah that, that's low for sure you know yeah so like for you what is your liquidity threshold that you know either yeah yeah
1: um like i'm i'm not i guess i, I try not to overvalue something liquid like that's not a reason to buy it or not buy it i guess right. uh, i'm exactly. not i'm not against uh, a name having some regular trading volume that's in you know the half million dollars a day or something like that but for me because i'm managing like really like tiny amounts of money in the grand scheme of things um you know, it's less than less than a million bucks or whatever. So like it's not it's not something that, you know, if I have 20% of my portfolio in that, that just gives you an idea. And that's gonna be split up into different names. Like the the volume can be like it doesn't trade on you know every other day. (laughs) And maybe the average volume if you spread that out is like, you know, 30 or 50 grand a day. Like that's perfectly fine with me because I'm buying, you know, a few thousand bucks at a time kind of thing. So um that that's how I see it. Um, but again, I, I don't. I, I think there's a lot of uh, potential in things that are liquid because it it makes people not look, uh, you know, into those names. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that's like a reason in and of itself. I really do try to value the business as if I was going to go buy the whole thing, kind of thing, right? So, right. so and, I try and, to look at it.
0: And that's the, advan- that's the advantage you have as the individual investor, right? Like, yeah. You know, you don't have these mandates, you know, um, or you know. Uh, managing, you know, multi-millions of dollars, assets under management where, you know, even if you really love a name that is illiquid, you know, you're kind of held, you're held away. Because yeah. you're just, you know, you're, you'll end up owning, I mean, you couldn't even size into position, right? Like it's just, That's right. you're, you're ultimately going to end up, you know, probably being the only, you know, one on both sides yeah. of the trade for, <laughs> for a little bit. Um, but let's, let's, we've kind of, I, I think we've already kind of covered a little bit of like why, you know, invi- the, some of the advantages you have when wanting to invest in the liquid microcaps, you know, but what would you say is some of the disadvantages? Why maybe some, an individual investor might be like, hey, I may love this business, but like, mm-hmm. I just, you know, yeah. let, I'll, I'll wait.
1: I think um it, the, it's the classic kind of two sided, uh two edged sword. So like, the one thing I think about with microcaps a lot is like the management team has a very disproportionate uh, impact on the future of the business, right? So compared to like, it's kind of funny, people know like large cap CEOs and they don't know microcaps, but like in terms of impact on the, the future returns for shareholder- shareholders, like people like to play up like Jamie Dimon and stuff but, like that guy has very little effect on how JP Morgan's going <laughs> to over the future. So like, I just, I think it's funny, right? Like, yeah, those are good case studies, but like, they don't actually make as much That's Sure. They make a difference, but they don't make as much of a difference compared to, you know, you look at a small company that has like a couple people on the board and, you know, the CEO owns like 20, 30 or more percent of the company. Um, you know, he, he, his whole life is kind of invested in, let's say it, it's his baby. And, and so that's the double-edged sword. So that's, that's actually probably a reason, why some people, um, if they're not going to take the time to like look into management, they, they should really maybe think twice about, about micro caps. Um, the other thing I think, um, just because like they can be out of favor for a long time, I think people need to like understand that the volatility is going to be way more. So that's something I think people undervalue is like, you can have a great thesis for an investment, but if you're not the type of person to be able to withhold that uh, withstand that volatility, then you really have to know yourself, right? So you have to know yourself, you have to know the business. Whereas I think a larger cap, like, you know, a bigger, big tech company or something, I think you can kind of follow the narrative a little bit easier. You don't, you, you, you don't need to like be an expert as much, um, now there's downsides to that too, but I, I think a, a good reason for a lot of people to stay away from microcaps is just, they're kind of either either they're not, they're not really willing to like look into the management team or they're not like valuing that high enough. I think, I think you need to value the management team a lot more in microcaps, uh,
0: relative to their bigger companies. hundred percent. I mean, so, I mean, from your perspective, I, you know, of course I, I ask you listen, you know, the show. So, you know, I always, I love asking about management and, you know, talking with management. Cause in microcaps, yeah, I, it's, I, I agree. Like you, you know, there's, there's, Doing your due diligence and understanding the business, reading all the K's and Q's, all that stuff. But it's you really want to get to know management as much as you possibly mm-hmm. can within within reason, right? Like you don't want to be yeah. annoying. They got to run their business. But like, <laughs> you know, it is it is yeah. good to get on a call at least once or twice just to, you know, better understand maybe a couple things after reviewing some of the kids. From your perspective, I mean, what are some of the things that you like to better understand from management when you're considering, you know, that potential yeah. investment in microcaps? Yeah, I I uh,
1: I don't actually really talk to management directly usually. I do appreciate if I can get some secondhand kind of information from different people about I, I don't necessarily trust myself to be good enough to avoid you know the good the charm, the <laughs> good salesman. So I think these people often are. That's well, th- there's it's a reason hard. why these people are where they are. I think a lot of it is they're good salesmen, and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. But I don't necessarily want to succumb to their skills at being really good communicators or or whatnot. Um, so for for that reason, I tend to not reach out to management directly. Um, but I will say that I try to look at what they do versus what they said and compare those things. So you know, I think there's the classic snake oil salesman tales from different people about the tales of woe of their bad investments where they were kind of promised the moon and and really that the delivery never came through so i like to look for management teams that really don't promise too much like they're grounded in reality they understand the business they understand the markets that they're in and the opportunities and so i look i look for that a little bit more like managements that actually do what they say and don't over promise so that there's opportunity to over delivery so like if you think about what causes the stock price to go up is usually like over delivering on expectations right so if you can continually over deliver then I think you've got a good case for why the stock might continually kind of go up and up um, so long as the obviously the underlying, underlying business has to perform as well but those two things can kind of be a, a dynamite um, combo I
0: think 100 no I was actually I was reminded of your, um, you know, your editor of uh, the margin safety newsletter on Substack. And, uh, you know, before getting into our interview today, you know, I reread the the quality investors manifesto and you have a whole section on there about, you know, some things that, you know, what your criteria for management. You know mm-hmm. um so i don't want to say the manifesto right we don't we got to be careful right <laughs> there's lots of manifestos out you know this yeah. simon's manifesto it's a good one, one, one. of many it's yeah. a good it's Thanks. a good one don't get me wrong but you know we got to be careful with that but i like your i like what you had for management criteria here where you talk about shareholder alignment cost focus rewarding capital allocation per share value creation you know these were all easy to pinpoint qual- metrics that, like, even if you don't necessarily want to talk, you know, right with management, like, okay, these are metrics that you can see, like, okay, like, they hit this, they hit this, they hit this. Yeah. You know, there might be it's, some. Um, yeah,
1: it's one thing, you know, obviously, the, the, the manifesto, it's a bit generic, obviously, but, um, you know, for each individual business, I think you ought to, really think about okay for alignment what does that mean like does that mean that they own a large chunk or or is a few percent okay like it it really depends so I don't think there's any like quantitative you know thing to to necessarily put there but it it's dependent on each individual uh, business that you're following so like the cost focus the rewarding capital these things are like you have to really understand I think the business and then you can overlay watching what management is doing. So like a prerequisite is you understand the business, the model, like how they, you know, how they run their operations. And then on top of that, you can say, okay, does, does management seem to understand that in terms of, you know, how do I create value? And so then you can create your own specific like things to track and monitor for each one. Um, I think that's what takes the time. It's like, everyone kind of can probably spit out like, oh yeah, shareholder alignment. <laughs> Great. Um, it's probably easy to. Write that. The hard part is always like the specific, okay, for this business, what does that mean? Um, and I think that's where, you know, separates like an average investor from a good investor. And I, I'm not necessarily including myself in the, in the good camp yet, but I'm, you know, that's the, that's the journey. 100%.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I, uh, it's interesting because like, especially right now when, you know, we're recording this on a Monday, August 7th, 2023, we're kind of in the middle of earnings right now. And there's been some interesting, say the least, there's been some interesting reports going out there in this last little bit and kind of almost in a way, I don't know if I don't want to say go so far to say like it explains why there's been just a micro cap doldrum, uh, so to speak, for the last, you know, 18 months or maybe i i keep saying 18 i've said 18 months for the last 10 months so i guess now i gotta say it's like 20 21 22 months or something like that yeah you know but you know the ones that are performing are doing well and the majority that aren't performing are not doing well you know and Mm -hmm. so it's been it's been i don't know there there's a few uh, amongst our microcap cult circles, there was a few earnings releases last week that I'm hoping to have those companies on at some point for due diligence to really dig into like what, what's been going on, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, these are all things as to why when you're looking at microcaps, you need to be paying attention to those Q's and K's because that's where you'll get all the meat, you know, like, yeah, the, the customer wins here and there. Yeah. You want to see the business growing. Yeah. Okay. Like, what does this mean now for, you know, revenues going forward or those long-term contracts, but at the end of the day, like that's where you're going to see all the, all the, all the good stuff that you'll need. To yeah, do. definitely. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I, I don't, I can't say that I'm like super up to speed on like, um, you know, following earnings on my watch list as much as some. Um, I definitely. Uh, don't have the time to necessarily do that. So my my approach tends to be like making sure I understand the businesses I own and then and really searching for the next one or two that I can contribute to over the next, let's say, year. Um, and I'm definitely, because of that, I'm going to miss miss some good opportunities for sure. So that's part of it. Um, I do find it interesting, like you said, I think over the last, let's say, you know, since interest rates started going up basically, so whatever that was, um, with all this inflation and everything. Like I think I think it's a really good testament to how the quality of the business in terms of like how they're financed and, and things like that. So the you know, the, the pricing power they might have uh, in this type of environment. That's kind of the the model I tend to look for. So even if you know their end users are are hit, they can still kind of be resilient and yeah and uh and that. So it's like I, I really don't try to predict macro stuff. Um but I think as you alluded, like it's a Really good market for like a business picker so it's, it's not been this whole like all all stocks are going up necessarily over the last couple of years but the the ones that are performing and are resilient have, have really done well um so yeah it's interesting uh, you hear the whole like stock pickers market or or whatnot but i think it's a really good testament to when there's uncertain times which is basically all the time <laughs> it's uh, it's really like um you know it's really a business pickers market that way so um a lot of people, I think, enjoyed the, the big wave of low interest rates forever and, and going down, and and that does great things for the broader market. And now, when that's changed, like, um, you know, the the, the good ones kind of separate, so you get the separation. Yeah,
0: I will say, I do, I do miss the days of watching Portnoy like pull out tiles. <laughs> entertaining any, for sure. Very entertaining. Yeah. 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 Not Definitely don't take that as investment advice ever, even yeah. when markets, <laughs> you know, ultimately turn around. But, um, you know, one one name I wanted to ask you about, you know, maybe as an example of, you know, why, you know, you look at some illiquid names. I mean, this isn't a micro cap anymore. You know, it's 600. I mean, as of today is 680 million market cap, but they very much serve the micro cap market quite extensively and providing mm. cross listings you know helping companies trade in the in the US and that's a uh, OTC markets otcm uh, just confirm you are a shareholder still i i am a shareholder sure. still yes sure yeah. so i'd love to hear your your current your updated thesis on on that one i mean obviously it's a name i know forever you know we've interviewed yeah you know, countless otc listed uh mm-hmm. companies over the years i've interviewed cromwell on even on here a couple times now so i'd love to hear your thesis mm-hmm. there
1: yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think this thesis has changed a whole lot since I first uh, wrote it up, but, um, you know, I've, I've held it for, uh, gosh, um, probably over a year anyway um, now. And I, You know, it's, it's unfortunate I didn't find it earlier, I suppose, but I didn't really start looking um, at smaller names until the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, any, ca- any case, like the, the business model is, um, it's quite, um, it's quite unique in that it offers essentially like a monopoly uh, type of service. For these uh, small businesses they really you know they really do offer a service to those um to those customers that they that can't really get elsewhere and, and they've got that uh, regulatory kind of uh, capture like i think um there was a lot of uh i think there was a lot of um worry that you know bigger exchanges and different things would come along and kind of steal all their business but that's proven not to be the case for various reasons but a lot of it is it's such a niche thing and and there's not really a lot of reason for these customers to go and, and switch even if they could um, it's a relatively small cost too so like um for their customers so i don't think it's something that you know people are going to be uh saying oh geez i i really really like to get your service but it's just too much money like that's not really so they they definitely got some pricing power there um you know recently they've done a couple acquisitions um so there's a, some kind of one time i'd say mostly one-time costs associated with that, which is his dragged down um, thing. And, and the timing of it with like volumes kind of coming down as well, which is expected, like um, from time to time, like it's a cyclical thing to some extent, like the trading volumes. But yeah, the, the thesis hasn't really changed. Like they, they don't really need a ton of capital. So like, you know, we've got a solid balance sheet and I think, you know, uh, Cromwell being at the helm there is still, I, I think for at least a while, and, will be really, really well, like he's essentially the way I think about him is like he's um, kind of like a founder version, too. (laughs) He's really transformed that business and he's been an advocate for the industry. And they've they've been um, done an amazing job at really like uh, pushing the regulations in the right directions, Uh, not only for them, but for their customers, I think. So I mostly see them as like a win, win, win. So like their their stakeholders, their customers and uh, the shareholders really all kind of win. There's not I don't really see it as something that, um, you know, they're not really ripping anyone off that
0: way too much. Yeah. Yeah. And the moat, I mean, the moat around, you know, it, well, because as they like to say, it's not, it's not an exchange, you know, it's a, no. it's, a it's an alternative trading platform, but yeah. you know, there isn't much in the way of competition and mm-hmm. anybody that's trying to launch a new kind of exchange or trading platform, like it's just, it's not breaking through you know, for, That's right. for whatever reason. I mean, not for whatever reason. I think we can all, we all know why, like trying to get companies yeah. on your platform and trade there and not on that platform where there might not be as many investors that even, you know, are looking there to, to invest in companies of this size. Like it just, yeah.
1: yeah, there's not a lot of reason to do those switches. Right. So, um, and, and if you're a large competitor, let's say um, it's a pretty small, market to go after so you're it's not really something that's going to move the needle for for most of the big guys to go after that and i suspect there'd be regulatory challenges anyway with um, with that type of competition so it's just interesting i think
0: you know it's one of the, and for full disclosure i'm not a shareholder in otc markets but one thing i've always really liked that they they like to celebrate you know companies that do graduate Mm-hmm. Because I also think deep down they know which ones might be back at some point, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, not, not, and that's listen, there's ones that, you know, graduate and they stay, of course, but, you know, there's quite, there's quite a few, you know, some fallen angels. Yeah. Yeah. You see, you know, uh, you know, they got, they get their, their notification from NASDAQ that they're not within compliance or, you know, from the NYSC. Yeah. And, you know, you know, as an investor, you're like, all right okay gonna, gonna be on the qx soon you know yeah that's fine you know be yeah. on the QB, that's fine
1: i think like the you know the um the qx uh i think that's the premier kind of the top one um that's becoming probably more and more of like hey this isn't just some shady operation um as time goes on i think that's becoming more and more of a hey this is just a a good quality place to be and um it's unfortunate that, like, I think over the last, maybe, I don't know, 30 years or something, there's been less and less publicly listed, uh, smaller companies, just maybe partly due to the interest rates, et cetera. But, um, for whatever reason, it's gone down. So that's, that's an unfortunate, maybe, uh, slight headwind. But I also think that that kind of keeps competition at bay as well. So it's, yeah. uh, can, can be beneficial too.
0: By the way, and then talk about illiquidity for, you know, a 608 million market cap company, like the average. Is yeah. Right? What somewhere between fifty to seventy five thousand dollars a yeah. day, something like that.
1: It's not something a large fund can really own, I don't think. Um, as far as I'm aware, it's yeah. It's, it's amazing how little it trades for for something that's uh, you know getting up there
0: in size. I'm curious as to why. That's actually that's always something that I. Yeah, everyone knows that know. it's not. It's a it's a well known well known commodity at this point. Yeah, you know they're oh. Everyone knows like this is where the majority of you know small micro, well, not small, but like these micro caps are trading. Yeah, know? it's a well known,
1: it's a well known one for sure. Yeah,
0: you know, it's recurring, they got a recurring model. You all know that mm-hmm. all these companies are going to be paying somewhere between 12,5 and 15 to 20,25 20, a year. You know, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's yeah. an interesting question. I mean, I, I should have Cromwell back on soon. Like we haven't we haven't done anything in a while. So it'd be good to get his take on, you know, state of the markets and what he's been seeing and all that kind of stuff. That would, that would be good. But, um, you know, I just had, a, I had on Paul just recently for, uh, from, a, I mean, he had his experience at CSU um, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, love to hear your thoughts there. I mean, obviously, again, not a micro cap, but amongst our ilk, it is a, you know, a micro cap hold <laughs> stock to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's your largest holding, you know, by far. If I, I think I saw yeah. in your most recent uh, portfolio update, it's like 40% of your portfolio. So, you know, what's, what are you seeing there? And, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, is it going to be above four, almost 50% at some point? I mean, uh, you clearly like it.
1: Uh, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I haven't been adding uh, lately. leads. I think that, you know, the price is, is um, perhaps even gotten away from itself a little bit, but uh they, yeah they've been executing super well so yeah full disclosure my own constellation as uh robert just mentioned it's a my largest holding by uh, a fair margin um you know I, I bought it at uh originally closer to sixteen hundred dollars or something a few years ago when it when everything kind of got hit uh during COVID. and the more i dug into it at the time the more i thought hey this is something i should be owning more of not less of and then it's really performed well and i've uh, been lucky enough to be able to add to it um as it's gone along. So it's really like a double compounded effect in terms of why it's such a big thing. People people always ask like, hey, why, how is this such a big uh, part of your portfolio? And the answer is, well, various reasons, but I, it was a big purchase at, uh, initially. Um, and then also, I've been adding to it, and it's just performed so well, um, better than most of my portfolio. So I guess I got that part right. Um, it's something that I think I would love to hold for, you know, you know one of those kind of ideally forever type type names as long as it's performing and it's got a good runway so the you know I, I, paul Paul's a great uh follow i've been following and talking to paul every once in a while on, on twitter he's um you know i got some inside experience that he doesn't talk about this experience too much as you know but yep. um he, he's exactly the type of you know the type of brain that you know the way paul thinks about investing is i think how CSI kind of sees uh constellation, how, how they see investing. So despite he, him departing from the company, like it, it gives you an idea of like how they're deploying their capital. It's people like Paul that are willing to kind of what's interesting is that like um, my investing approach doesn't necessarily line up with how the managers and capital deployers at Constellation would deploy their capital there. So <laughs> Um, I recognize that I don't really necessarily have the—I don't know if it's the patience or or what it is—to go after those kind of um, deeper value type, uh, you know, businesses, uh, smaller, deeper value businesses. I most of my portfolio is in my larger, higher quality names. So generally, I have to pay up a little bit to some extent. But what's interesting is that I can kind of arbitrage that by owning constellation, um, and, and what I like about it is I'm. Pretty confident that they have the unique um like the set of opportunities and and the like the um the, not not only the ability but like the kind of their culture to be able to have the patience and have have those high hurdle rates that frankly i don't have the uh both the ability probably and and the uh, patience for that so i can kind of <laughs> arbitrage my own uh core skill and just on that
0: fair enough all right, so one one other I have to also, I mean, look, we're on a microcap podcast, and you know, I, I haven't even asked about a microcap name that's in your portfolio, but I mean, I think a lot of folks that are listening on here, you know, they know the they they're aware of Atlas, right? Atlas Engineered AEP on mm-hmm. the venture. Um, you're for full disclosure, you are a shareholder. So I am a shareholder. Right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So love to hear a little bit more about your thesis there too. Um, you know why? Yeah. That?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I'm happy to talk uh, about Atlas a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it's one that I think I love how simple it is in a lot of ways. Um, you've got like a lot of uh, so Atlas is a, is a roll up of trust companies. So they manufacture wood and trust is mostly for residential housing, um, primarily in Canada right now, but they, they have future plans to try to expand into the US as well. And I think a lot of people are aware of the the housing kind of shortage for residential. Um, It's been, you know, well documented, I think, and with lots of immigration and things, especially in Canada, uh, there's, I think, a long, really kind of a a decent runway. So their model is essentially they're going to go around uh, rolling up a very fragmented industry. And um, most of these businesses are kind of what most people would think of as like mom and pop operations. So Uh, They're able to buy them at reasonable valuations like two and a half times EBITDA. Um, And the interesting thing is that like most of these businesses aren't necessarily professionally run in terms of their operations. So one of the benefits that um, Atlas can bring is they can basically improve their operations by being a little bit more rational, um, having the right kind of lens on how to operate. So that's one of the cost um, focuses that's in in the uh, manifesto that we talked about. I think that's a, a good example of someone that is able to focus on costs. Um, so they buy something, you know, re- a reasonable valuation and they, they improve it so they get a lot more return that way. Um, and there's plenty to roll up, so it's a, it's a big fragmented industry that way. And then the other um, interesting thing is that these, um, these businesses currently kind of I guess I should say like the housing industry like is suffering from kind of a shortage on uh, skilled labor on site. And one of the things that uh atlas is trying to promote and uh sell a little bit more is like things other than wood dresses pre-assembled so uh floors and walls essentially and things like that so super simple idea um with with some kind of some uh, organic growth opportunities and and really focus on cost reductions with you know how they integrate the, the businesses that they buy um I, I think the like the risks there are like it's a cyclical industry to some extent as well so you know, there's always kind of am I buying at the wrong time in the cycle? So that's that's maybe the kind of the, the risk and the, and the difficulty in these ones. Um and there's there's no suggesting, you know, they, they could do some stupid things as well. So <laughs> so but but the idea is um I think it's a great example of something that's just kind of simple. Uh it was so small and, and kind of hated by the market for a little while because they, they did go through some trouble a few years ago and, and the founder kind of came back and took it over again. And um he's one that like he understands industry really, really well. He's been in it for like thirty years. So, um, just an example of something that's been hated, small, overlooked. Now it's got some momentum to it. So, uh, things are looking up.
0: Yeah, you got another one that you you just recently bought that uh, I think has that same uh, mentality with Galaxy Gaming, where it was hated, and then you know they're kind of they've been they've been pushing through you know all those all those struggles from from yours years back mm-hmm. with, with new management and stuff like that. So you just recently bought that one? I think according to- I recently you're... bought it, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I was able
1: to get it around 250 recently. Uh, very illiquid, um, small business there. I think, I don't know, you, you've you talked to their management at some point yep. maybe. Yep. Um, solid, solid management team there. Um, kind of maybe a couple of years ago, you would say like a turnover, uh, turnaround opportunity, I would say, just like you kind of alluded to there some prior issues with the, the original founder. Um, so because of that um, turnaround, uh, they had some uh, high amount of debt, but if you look at like their cash flows, it's a very highly growing revenue, high margin business, um, really s- very high quality business margins are improving. They've got lots of top line growth um, coming. So um, that debt is likely to be restructured. Um, and I think at some point the market is starting to kind of pick up on that. Like normally i wouldn't um play into like turnarounds too much but the way i think about this one is like the turnaround kind of occurred a couple of years ago actually it just wasn't fully recognized uh, until maybe recently so i think that's uh, another advantage of microcaps caps is that like you can have a little bit of patience and the market doesn't always recognize these things as quickly as they would be uh you know if it was, if it was a large cap, this type of recurring business model that has super high margins and some growth I, I can't imagine what multiple it would trade at, like three or four times what it
0: is today. So, uh, yeah. Good. All right. Well, you know, we're at that point where, you know, look, I, it's some, uh, at some at some point, I'm sure we'll probably do an even deeper dive on some of these names. But I always like to just mm-hmm. kind of ask about them as it relates to, you know, how you think about, you know, your your just your approach to investing in general, you know, obviously in micro specifically with the last two names, but, you know, that's why, that's why I asked about them because they're clearly mm-hmm. three out of those four are arguably ili- quite illiquid, right? And, yeah. you know, maybe 80, 80, atlas, not as much maybe, but like, you know, still on the grander scheme, relatively, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so I appreciate you sharing your, your, you know, your theses around that and, you know, why, in these cases the illiquidity of them doesn't bother you you know because your mm-hmm. focus is on the underlying business so you know I, we're at that point where i this is my favorite question i like to ask you know folks on here that, especially if they're first time on the podcast you know what would you say is an investing experience that changed your career the most when looking let's say specifically at microcaps
1: sure um yeah i think uh with microcaps uh This one was actually one that so far hasn't worked out, but I'm still kind of looking forward to the future of it. So uh, I bought Leah Technologies. So they, um, this is a very small company and I bought them really at the wrong time in the, in the cycle. So they had a lot of inventory issues essentially. So it, the stock price had done really well. Um, Their founder led like very niche kind of business and um that's still one that i I hold because i think the future is you know promising for them but looking back you know it's so interesting to see how kind of obvious in hindsight that one was something that appeared cheap but if you dug into it further in terms of like okay where are they in their own business cycle it was quite clear that like it wasn't that cheap at all so essentially like a little pe with some growth but then you look at Um, there was a lot of pull forward essentially due to the pandemic with outdoor sports. So that one was kind of obvious in hindsight. And I think a lot of people actually pointed out to me at the time and I disregarded that. So um, going forward, I think I'm a lot more sensitive to like, okay, you know, here's where we are now, but what about the cycle of of their business? Like, is it something that just goes up and up forever or is it something that has a cycle to it? And um, trying to factor that in is often difficult. So I, I try not to, you know, invest in names that are too exposed to those types of cycles, but um, that's one that I think sticks with me in terms of a lesson. So something that I'll probably remember forever. Very cool.
0: All right. Well, to close this out here today, you know, what, you know, other than, you know, pointing folks to go and read your manifesto uh, for mm-hmm. quality investing, you know, what, what are some, you know, either final thoughts or final takes regarding micro investing that you want folks to really take away from this interview.
1: Yeah, I think um, you know, microcaps are just such a rich treasure show of uh, different business models, something that you can really as an individual uh leverage leverage to your advantage, even if you're not interested in like devoting, you know, all your time and your whole portfolio to it. I don't see why you wouldn't at least take the lessons from them and, and like um even if you're going to treat it like a case study, and you know, there's no rule saying you have to just put all your money in microcaps either, right? So, the way I kind of look at it is, I'm probably never going to be 100% microcap, but it's um, as an as an individual investor, which I, I suspect a lot of your listeners are individuals. Um, go go take a look, right? Like it, it's it's probably a really good way to to learn. The the other thing is like you can't always just steal the consensus narrative from <laughs> Twitter or or CNBC or things like that for microcaps like you can, you know, the Facebooks of the world um, and the Amazons and things like that. So you have to really be comfortable in your own skin, like coming up with your own story or, or, um, you know, forming it on a few little uh, people's ideas. You know, there's nothing wrong with stealing other people's ideas. It's just that you have to kind of be able to come up with uh, your own in in order to hold them. So microcaps is such a great opportunity to do that.
0: With that, Simon, where can folks go and subscribe to your newsletter as well as follow you on social media?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm probably more active than I should be on Twitter. Uh, you can check me out at uh, Moss underscore investing there. And uh, yeah, my sub my, uh, Substack content is uh, available. There's free and paid content there. It's uh, marginofsafetyinvesting.com.
0: Yeah, it's funny. When, we, when I first started following, I thought, wait, is he at MOI? Because I was like, MOS. <laughs> I, like, so I, I like in my head, I like had that quick. Uh, uh thing but uh all good yeah great follow Simon thanks again for joining me today I really do appreciate it uh good luck stay safe and I, I look forward to our next update thanks Robert uh, thank you podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc. and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value." We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast.